0: Welcome everybody out to episode 103 of Utah in the Weeds. My name is Tim Pickett and I'm the host. This podcast is about cannabis and Utah cannabis culture. Uh, Today's guest is none other than Connor Boyack, the president of the Libertas Institute. Here in Utah, Connor was one of the key proponents of the legalization of cannabis, even back to the CBD push. There's talk of, uh, we discuss how he was involved in the initial patient story and getting all the media involved, and then we hone in on the discussion uh, between the big players in the church here in Utah and the advocates and some of the advocate groups, and Connor gives his side of the story. Of what actually happened in that compromise, we talk a lot about the program and how the program has evolved. Uh, really great conversation. I think it's. I think this is one of the most important. Interviews and conversations that I've had in this podcast, and uh, just excited to share it with you. From some housekeeping standpoints, the summer is underway here in Utah and the program is still growing. You can find us at UtahMarijuana.org or uh, right here on Utah in the Weeds podcast. Download it on any podcast player that you have access to and stay up to date with patient stories and key players and industry leaders. Here, right here in Utah, and soon to expand outside. Enjoy this conversation with Connor Boyack. Connor Boyack, you're the president of Libertas Institute, right? So this is you you consider it a think tank, right? So to describe that, what is Libertas?
1: So we're a nonprofit, and a think tank is base. Well, the the joke is that we're a mental institution, a think. Tank. uh, But but, uh, what it really means is we are a nonprofit focused on um, building a public case for legal reform. So we work with elected officials and provide them information. We partner with the public. We go out and educate the public. And we are trying to think up ways to make our world a better place from our perspective. And, uh, and then figure out what are the plans that need to be put into place so that we can make that a reality. Whose minds do we need to change? Who do we need to partner with? What resources do we need? How do we get all this pulled together in a way that will allow us to accomplish our goal? And then we build the campaigns and, and go execute and get it all done. So we basically sit around all day trying to figure out how to change the world. And, uh, and it's an amazing job to be able to do because really it's all about serving other people and trying to solve their problems because they often can't solve it for themselves, and so we have the resources, the knowledge, the network, where we can help a lot of these people who can't help themselves, and we can we can kind of you know solve a lot of problems for a lot of people.
0: So when it comes to cannabis in Utah, Libertas was was involved from the beginning, even before. Uh, I mean, before the uh, the. The bill passed or the initiative. The referendum initiative.
1: No, it 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 started, gosh, twenty thirteen. I was in my office watching a documentary that cnn put together by Sanjay Gupta called Weed. He's now since done, Uh I think Weed Two and Weed Three or whatever, but this is when Weed came out. And he was profiling the story of Charlotte Figgy, who has since passed. Yeah. She was the girl that had Dravet syndrome, a form of intractable epilepsy. And they were talking about how these parents were, they, they had tried everything. They were sent home with Charlotte to go let her pass in in peace and at home. And they're like, screw this. You know, like we're, we've tried everything else. Let's go to Colorado. People have been talking to us about this, you know, CBD stuff. Let's go see what it's about. So they were the big focus was on CBD and epilepsy. So I'm watching this and I'm like, Holy cow, this is amazing. Is there anyone in Utah, you know, that, that, falls into that camp that we can talk to. So we started sniffing around and we met with the Utah Epilepsy Association and all these people. And I'm asking for an interview and trying to, you know, so we finally land with this mom, Jennifer, and her son, Stockton. Stockton, like Charlotte, had Gervais syndrome. And so we did this interview and it was all about her desire for medical cannabis for at the time was really just CBD focus, but, but medical cannabis more broadly. And so here's this Mormon mom Who's talking about how pharmaceuticals have failed her child and that she wants the ability to try? There was zero conversation about this in Utah at the time in 2013. And so we put this interview out there, and literally, this is not an embellishment. I had every media outlet calling me within the hour. Uh, They all wanted Jennifer's contact information to do this interview. It was a sexy topic in Mormon, Utah, right? Here's this. Mormon mom trying to fight for marijuana. Like every reporter was salivating. And so we sent them all to Jennifer. She did a ton of media over the next day. And that is what launched the conversation in Utah. We did some polling. I mean, polling was in the tank. We were like at in the like forty percent for support for medical cannabis, I think, at the time. No one was talking about it in Utah or anything. And so we spent a year, year and a half focused on C B D and the Epilepsy Association ran point on getting the C B D law passed. And, uh, and right after that, we started working on the medical cannabis uh, bill, Senator Madsen working for two years, uh, at the Capitol trying to get it passed, failed there, went and started the ballot initiative, raised a million bucks, got 120 plus thousand signatures, went into the negotiations that everyone, you know, knows something about. And, uh, now we have a lot. So that's the very crude beginning to end, but that's the early, early story that very few people know about is how early it started. and that It was... It was me watching uh, weed and, and calling around and looking for someone to interview. That is precisely what launched the effort here in Utah.
0: What uh, when the ballot initiative got up close to being passed, you were involved in that negotiation. The the uh, you know if you were in the room, you got a say and what happened. What's what happened? Because it looked like from my perspective. This was going to pass. Like through the summer, I was, at first I thought, no way, it's not going to pass. I mean, I'm working in trauma and GI surgery down here in West Valley, and <clears throat> there's no way it's going to pass. And then over the course of the summer, it looked like, wow, we this this actually might go. But then right towards the end, I think it was in August, the church when the church finally seemed like they decided to come forward and say, nope, we oppose it. And everybody got scared. And then I lost, like then it seemed for me anyway, the drapes were closed and something happened behind the scenes.
1: So you're, you're wondering what happened behind the scenes. <laughs>
0: I want to know, I want to know what happened behind the scenes.
1: Well, we got, I've back- heard
0: a couple of versions.
1: Okay. Well, because I ha- yeah,
0: but I want to know the truth.
1: Yeah. There's, there's versions out there and then there's, you know, what actually happened. Um, So let let me pause to give context. It is wrong to believe that Prop 2 was going to pass. It initially was. The polling was quite strong. We were at one point in the low 80s in terms of people supporting Prop 2. But then, as you pointed out, the LDS Church and their partners, Drug Safe Utah, which was Walter Plum, and the Utah Medical Association, and the Chamber of Commerce, and the Utah Medical Association and the PTA and the, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah.
0: I had, think the police too. Yeah, right? law uh, enforcement. The, yeah, law enforcement. Everyone
1: got up on stage together, but it was really the LDS church. They, they were the ones out there emailing people to join their coalition and trying to grow this thing. So the church starts coming out. They send an email out to every member of the church in their database in Utah. First time they had ever done that on a political issue saying, don't vote for Prop 2. We think it's bad, blah, blah, blah. So they're they're using all their resources, attacking it. They were very effective. They allowed the predominantly conservative Mormon community in Utah to believe two arguments at the same time, that you can be for medical cannabis and opposed to Prop 2. That was the divergent point where support for medical cannabis remained in the high 70s to even low 80s at some point, but the numbers for Prop 2 started tanking. And we were doing a lot of internal polling, internal polling means polling that we didn't release to the public. We're just, you know, quietly doing polling. We're trying to figure out how effective is this? How problematic is this? And the numbers were going down. I stand before you today, very confident in saying that had we just gone balls to the wall on the ballot, let the public decide we would have lost. And that had we lost, then what would have been the so-called public will that everyone right now likes, oh, they violated the public. Like, no, no, no. The actual public will would have been that we don't want medical cannabis and then we would have zero program today because there would be no incentive for the legislature to act. And so we negotiated specifically because we had access to this data and had strong reasons to believe that you know our resources were diminishing. We had we had spent most all of our money you know like we weren't raising as much anymore because people just thought that things were good look at the polling numbers they're great this is sailing to the finish line Meanwhile here comes the LDS church with its you know significant resources and Walter plum with his massive resources and, and others and we're like okay crap if they continue to attack this thing like this doesn't end well for us and so no. we decided to negotiate to for lack of a better word save prop 2. Granted, we pared it down to about 85% of what it was. But also, what a lot of people don't understand is that we put things in Prop 2 that we knew were negotiating items. We knew that they would not survive either a negotiating process like this or subsequent legislative sessions. For example, Home Grow. I have people to this day that send me little snarky Facebook messages. Oh, you, you removed Home Grow? I'm like, you're an idiot. We sat around my table when we were concocting this thing and we knew why, eyes wide open, that home grow was not politically palpable in Utah, but we put it in there so that we could have a bargaining chip to bargain away at some point to preserve the rest of the program, to let our opponents feel like they had a win, right? Oh, yay, we defeated home grow. whatever fine. Like we knew we just never would have got that passed anyways. So we had things in there impromptu that we knew would not survive and that was intentional on our part. But then also we did, you know, pare it down in a few other ways in the negotiating process, protected 85% of, what we initially mapped out. And then in the years since we've taken it up to ninety-five percent and and in the process turned our entire opposition into support. Now now none of those institutions yeah. are attacking what we're doing. So in retrospect, despite all the naysayers who understandably don't under, don't know all the nuance and the strategy and everything, I get it. Uh, so they attack from a, a point of I'll say political ignorance or or whatever. Uh, so there are people out there who have hard feelings about that, but from our vantage point that the folks who started this effort and and kind of did all the strategy for it, like this went according to plan. It happened great. Uh, it, it, we're, we're very pleased with how it turned out. Does that mean there aren't problems still? Absolutely not. There are still issues that, you know, I'm fired up about, want to fix and change or whatever, but, but we are, we are here where we are only because of what we did. And for all those people who think that we shouldn't have negotiated, we shouldn't have talked to the LDS church, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, they, we would have no program today. And that was not a reality I was willing to accept. So I was, I was more willing to take the arrows and the attacks from everyone and the complaints and the bitching and moaning than I was to live in a world with no program and then have those people still complain at me. So, in retrospect, I think we did exactly what we should have, and I'm
0: I'm happy we did. I think that's uh, it's it's a good perspective, and it reiterates the importance of knowing that at the you know you've got to deal with the things in front of you, and with legislation, it. The more I learn about it, the more I realize. Look, you've got to get some, something done is in a lot of ways better than waiting and getting nothing done. And it is a stepwise approach, especially in a conservative state like Utah and medical cannabis. There are certainly more people, more patients that will talk to me and say, I'm surprised medical cannabis is legal at all. I thought we were going to be the last state. So there's, I think there's more people on the positive side than on the negative side. Sure. But if you can't, you know, there's like, and let's talk about it. Some of the problems you see that uh, in the legislation, you were involved in the negotiation and then passing the, the Utah Medical Cannabis Act, right? And then each year, well, you were really involved in the modifications the first couple of years, but maybe not so much in 2022. Right. Um blister packs were like, that was a huge right, uh, thing that everybody, I think everybody knew that was going to have to change. Yep. Um, but did you ever, did you have things that you immediately needed to get changed that you recall?
1: Well, I mean, in, during the negotiation, our intent was to save as much as we could. So if that meant stupid blister packs to save flour when everyone wanted to I mean the starting point for the negotiation was no flower. No flower. And and yeah. no one wanted it, everyone hated it. No one loved the open-ended nature of it, the the you know how close it is to recreational so called like so so our MO was to do whatever we could to save as much as we can with the intent with the knowledge that when implementation happened, we would see like this is really important, right? By getting them to sign on to the Utah Medical Cannabis Act, all of our opposition, we got them to say yes to medical cannabis. And because of that, we could hold their feet to the fire in the subsequent legislative sessions in conversations that were not around, shall we legalize medical cannabis? Yes or no. It was about how do we make this work? Hey guys, we already agreed that we're going to make this program work.
0: But now we're. And we seeing, already agreed to flour, right?
1: And we said yes to flour. But, but,
0: but now we're seeing yeah.
1: that hey, blister packs have some of these problems. And and it was me sitting in a room with some of these these people. I'm like, okay, so how about we just move to the glass jars? I think that's going to make more sense because we gave it a go. We're seeing these kinks. Like, I think this is probably the right way to go. What do you guys think? Yeah, oh, okay, I, I suppose we should. You know, like, yeah, it, I mean camel's nose in the tent for lack of a better term right it's just like get get them accustomed to saying yes to flower and okay with the law and so on and so forth and then deal with these things later on so yeah everyone's howling oh how stupid can you be blister packs don't work i'm like guys i know they don't work just let this play out you know like, just
0: let this play out and yeah. uh we're still two years you were still two years really away from the first pharmacy opening at that point right yeah we didn't um, need
1: to fix it on, uh, on day it's one plenty of time yes i think the big thing that remains for me is uh i remember sitting in one of the negotiations at this point we had broadened it to a bunch of the other stakeholders including the governor's office and it was the the spokes guy what was his role he was like chief of staff or something but it was the guy from the governor's office and and he said we're talking about which conditions yes here no here utah medical association wants to come in with a hatchet and just like you know get rid of half of the conditions and so we're having to figure out creative ways to save you know pay i mean like what a lot of people don't know is our pain uh, condition is better than it even was in Prop Two. Like, like
0: yeah, it is, you know.
1: And, and so for all of the naysaying, like in some respects, things are even better and broader. But at the time when we were negotiating over all these things, um, I uh, we were talking about the conditions, and the guy from the governor's office is like, "Why do we need a condition list at all?" And I'm like you know, applauding this guy. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, why don't we just let doctors be doctors and they can figure out what the uses are for. And, you know, you have the Utah Medical Association in the room and a couple others and they they would not go anywhere near that. But I think that's where we need to get to. In my mind, that is the next major upgrade for the system is to get out of the political picking and choosing um, and uh, and just allow doctors to make the determinations that in their best judgment, you know, they know about. I think that's uh, an area where I want to get The the nitpickiness over like forms or whatever, like, okay, can we have butter or not? Like, I'm less interested in that. Again, like like to your point, I wasn't really that involved in this legislative session by my own choice. uh, except when there's issues that I can deal with behind the scenes and have some conversations with people. But from my vantage point, I've birthed this child and I've kind of adopted it away to the you know, the industry and to (laughs) Desiree and the doctors. Utah Patients Coalition. I'm like you guys can squabble about all the little stuff or whatever. Like if there's something big or significant where I need to step in, I will. But, um, but uh, but a lot of the you know stuff is is uh, not so significant where I felt the need to step in lately. Um, I'm on the board of Utah Patients Coalition, so I work with Desiree there just to kind of guide it from the patient perspective. But, um, but no, like I, I I mean the cost is a big one. Uh, but again, I think that's a volume play. The the more we can continue to scale and grow the program. I think uh, that will help with that, too. Like, I don't know, there's there's room to to grow. There's things to fix. But um, overall, I feel like we got a functional program. And while some people might complain about this or that, like we are three X over where the regulators said we were going to be compared to like a data, they did a statistic like, okay, we get the bill passed, we, we go to implementation. And, and the Department of Agriculture and Food commissions a, a statistician, a researcher over at the U to say, hey, look at all the surrounding states that have medical programs and like what their year one, year two was, base it off a of population, do all the corrections and the whatever. So this is legit. And then tell us what you think we're going to have in terms of a patient population year one, year two, year three, so that we can figure out how to regulate that cost wise, blah, blah, blah. They come out with that number. I think it was like uh, in year uh, gosh, I I just blogged about this a few. Weeks I think ago. in
0: year one it was like eleven thousand for for it was like eleven uh, thousand like patients yeah. for year one. We three. And then they it. they did licensing and growing and all of those sorts of things were were about that amount. And we we definitely in the first year doubled that, and then um and now you're you're at three x where yeah. they're so
1: for everyone complaining like the – projections the it. market is is clearly saying that there's strong interest in this. There's a high renewal rate, it's helping a lot of people. I don't disagree that there's issues to be worked out, but from my vantage point, we got it to a point where I accomplished what I was trying to do, and now I can let other people you know fight their battles and and focus on what they want to focus on, and I'm only going to get involved as as I think uh I'm needed because i i I accomplished what I set out to do, which was to get it this far.
0: do you think things like home grow, things like unlimited patient caps, things like unlimited uh, or let doctors be doctors and decide who can use it are a long ways off in a state like Utah. Uh, You know, many, many years we need federal legislation change in order to get to something like that. Or do you think incrementally you can get to those steps alone in Utah?
1: Um, I doubt we ever get to home grow in Utah. I don't see that happening. Uh, patient caps, you know, I, I I'm kind of fifty fifty. I mean, we we've we raised them, and then we have expanded the number of people. And any you know nurse under you or whatever, like uh, I I feel like we've we've resolved that issue. We've expanded it, so doctors now don't even need to be a a, a Whatever we called it.
0: Oh yeah. Qualified Q&P. medical yeah, provider. Yeah, the limited medical provider. Yeah, so we Yeah, that program that's an interesting program in my in my perspective. Sure, but there there's been uh, it's a good idea. It, it was a good idea. There's been about seventy people um issued medical cards under that program um so far in its and its lifespan, well, the, which its, its lifespan long, is short.
1: It was supposed to launch a year ago, and then is. they never got around to it. So <laughs> yeah,
0: it's only four. It's only four months. Ago. Yeah, it's only four months. But but ago. again, so the
1: the, thi- fair, fair the thinking is like, you know, how can we expand the universe of physicians who are going to feel comfortable writing these things, talking to their patients about it, not feeling like they have to go through all these regulatory hoops just to write a single patient you know, a, a recommendation. Yes. And so we, we've tried to solve for a lot of these things. Uh, I don't remember what the third one, you asked home grow and Raising the Cat. Oh, the, the condition list. I think we can get there. Yeah, condition list. I think we can get there. I think that is on the table. Again, if we've got a generous pain condition and we've got the, the, the board that basically approves like 95% or more of the requests that go before the Compassionate Use Board what are the incentives to change the condition list? And basically, anyone who needs medical cannabis fits somehow. And so yeah. I don't know what we really gain by taking on that fight if there's not a real problem to solve. So I think we could get there. I just don't know that it's a, a battle worth fighting compared to potentially other things.
0: I, I tend to agree. The thing that I like about an, an, uh, an expanded condition list is the data you're gathering from the state is more accurate. Currently you have 85, you know, 80% of patients that are qualifying under pain and yet they're using it for sleep or or something else. Right. So you're not quite getting good medical data. You're not reinforcing the legitimacy of cannabis as a medicine from a medical provider standpoint. That That I think it causes us trouble down the road that we don't see. Like it's not a problem now, but if you wanna expand research sure. and- uh, viability of the data, you know, maybe you should reconsider your condition list, but you're right. If it's not a problem in bear, if it's not a barrier to access medical cannabis, then in some ways, why, why, like, why fight that battle? Yeah.
1: Well, cause any, any, any scab that you pick at, right? Like you're, you're, you're inviting <laughs> yeah. infection, you know, like if, if we try and take this on, then you know, other people are going to come complain and try and push in the other direction and and ask for their thing. So it's like, if it ain't broke that bad, then maybe just let it
0: lie. Yeah. When, uh, do you have, I'm assuming that you have people that you know who've really, and over the course of, from 2013 all the way to now, has your view of medical cannabis changed or did your view... This, this is more of a question on your, like, your political views. Yep. Is cannabis a view, Is cannabis something for you because of the, your political viewpoint? Or is it important for you because you like cannabis as a medicine?
1: I, I was very clear with everyone, elected officials and otherwise, during all of Prop 2, that I had never used cannabis in my entire life. I have since. But uh, at the time, I never had. And I kind of liked that for Utah, for me to be able to say this isn't like, it's not about using weed or whatever. Like, this is just me trying to do what I think is the right thing for these people who need it. No, it it, it, for me was a a, a absolutely born out of my political views. I don't think people should be locked in cages because they ingest something you don't like. I think the drug war is, is hilariously idiotic. It's counterproductive. Uh, it's a net negative on our society, and the the government response to drugs are oftentimes far worse than the drugs themselves. I remember seeing a meme a couple of years ago about uh you know well there's several of them I have saved, but like you know the one guy that this is cop busting down a door he's like are there are there plants in here? Are there illegally growing plants and and like he's followed by all like the SWAT team and they're coming in with guns ablazing. Yeah. It's like, what are we doing? Like that, that makes no sense to me. So, so for me, it is political. It's why we're focused on, on uh, psychedelics right now for mental health. That's the next frontier of what we're working on. And, um, and so it, it is absolutely a political thing. It was very interesting as, as a libertarian, which is what I consider myself. This was uh, a coalition of all kinds of, people who we were only united based off of our common interest in legalizing this thing, which is, re- I remember DJ who headed up the Utah Patients Coalition. He was my vice president at Libertas, and then yeah. he moved over to Utah Patients Coalition for all the signature gathering efforts. So he, I was kind of strategy, and he was execution. And uh, I remember he said to me once, he's like, you know how stupid it is to build coalitions around a medicine? He's like, imagine trying to build a coalition of people who've used aspirin like, how stupid would that be to say, like, <laughs> yeah. we have that in common, let's unite, like, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so, of <laughs> course, then a coalition built around a medicine is uh, going to have its internal challenges and its conflicts and, you know, people who disagree. And so it was very interesting for me, like, working with all kinds of people from different perspe- political perspectives and otherwise. And um, for my part, like, it was all fine and great, but I know not everyone felt that way uh, on their end of things. And uh, uh, but. It is, it is what it is. Uh, we got it done. We got some bruises along the way, and here we are.
0: Did you build relationships with people on the opposite side of the aisle that you've, that you've kind of fostered and, and continued? Totally. Because when you mentioned psilocybin, it seems like there's going to be some of that same type of, hey, we're going to have to work with all kinds of different political viewpoints here to get this done.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is like with cannabis, you don't actually have to work with like the Democrats and the liberals because it's presumed that they all support it. And they're a super minority in Utah. So that's not actually who you need. <laughs> so it's like, we, <laughs> we got your vote anyways. Everyone know you supports this. And if you guys are the face of this, then maybe it doesn't go anywhere. So let's have a different you know, driver for And it, they it.
0: understand that too, right? Escamilla would be like, yeah, I understand that. Let's let somebody else be the face of I it.
1: think the politicians understand that more than the activists. The The activists don't really get the, the political savvy or, or that issue. They they want to, I mean, we all have ego in, in these things, right? Like myself included. Um, but, you know, they want to like be involved. They want to be active. They want to be part of the, you know, movement. I'm like, dude, you've got like tats up, the wazoo and dreads and everything like, <laughs> yeah, like maybe we need to have you play a, a role in the back end and not the front end you know and so it's hard for people who want to be part of an exciting movement to understand those types of cultural things and recognize that uh there's different roles for different people and i mean we're all in the same team team aspirin team team cannabis team yeah. you know whatever your medicine is but but it is that uh, but but to your question since i'm rambling yes like no we're. I try and be as friendly with as many people as I can, you know, not everyone agrees with the decisions that we made on the, on the negotiation. I get it. I think a lot of them just don't understand how things went. That's fine. I don't expect them to have intimate knowledge of something that was a little bit more tightly held. Um, some of them don't want to be friends with me. That's fine. But anyone who wants to talk and, and partner up and whatever, we, we have a very kind of pro coalition standpoint and, uh, certainly we'll be doing that on, on, uh on psychedelics as well. Um and I frankly think that's a good thing, especially as I look out at our world and there's so much toxic disagreement and tribalism and everything else. Like I just don't want to live my life that way. I don't think it's healthy for our society or for me as a person. And so I try and be friendly with the you know, with everyone who wants to partner up.
0: How is the psilocybin the psychedelic fight going? They got a my understanding is they got a bill passed to do some studying. Got a little appropriation for or money to spend on basically to a report. My understanding of it is they want to build a report of what uh, what the program might look like in Utah if there was one. And that's as far as we've got.
1: Yeah, we worked on this with Representative Brammer. And you're right, it is a task force that brings together a whole bunch of different smart people to talk over the summer and fall. So that's being set up right now. Um, and yeah, their goal is look at the research from, you know, Johns Hopkins and other places that are looking into this, help us understand what it says, what should we do? Is there a path to move forward in Utah? Who can this help? And so they will produce a report in mid-October. And, um, that is designed to inform the legislature about what that might look like to, um, to open that up in Utah. It's a very different issue. Uh, you know, with cannabis, tons of states had forged this path already it was part of the national conversation uh that's not the case with psychedelics at all like the only places to do any type of uh decrim stuff or are, are like oregon that decriminalized all drugs basically yep. or denver like these very blue deep blue places um no red state has taken this on in any you know significant step forward there's been i think i think like texas did its own little task force that they're looking at so there's been A little bit of sniffing around but no one's figured out like okay what does a you know red state do when it comes to this stuff so our hope is that hey we created this whole like regulated but open model for cannabis is there some learning there that we could take and take this other controlled substance and still open a path you know for people i mean because the reality is it's just like cannabis If, if anything this has been weird for me this might just be the circles that i run in but i think i know more people who use psychedelics than cannabis which was really interesting to me, the more I started talking to people about this, I think it's because I network with a lot of like CEOs and entrepreneurs who are always looking for like that edge up or whatever. And so maybe yep, they don't the want to
0: brain, the brain healing yes. the brain on fire yes, type thing. Yes, it is. And the research around psychedelics is very specific uh, and seems to be leapfrogging cannabis Yeah, in some ways. I agree with that. Like there's, Cannabis has this, like, it's it's a problem because it's illegal. You know, it's not legitimate because it's been illegal for so long, but it's been grown in the mountains and and we've just, the drug war, for example. And psilocybin doesn't have that, it doesn't have the stigma. It's You didn't use it in high school. I think
1: of it like, like Africa, they have no, um, they have no, Telephone lines everywhere, and all this broadband infrastructure—they basically skipped all and all the regulatory problems that come in with like right of ways and poles with lines. No, they skipped that and they went to cell phones. They avoided yep. all those political battles and and infrastructure costs and ugly everything from all the you know wires everywhere.
0: Yep, and the land and the easements. Right, and the, uh, they skipped it. Yep. So,
1: so I see psilocybin psychedelics in some ways skipping all the the baggage and the propaganda and the, the hysteria that we've had with cannabis, because it is kind of unfamiliar, right? We didn't use it in high school. It wasn't really the, the, you know, drug of choice. And so maybe not having all that baggage, we'll be able to have a little bit easier time moving down that path. Maybe, I don't know. This is, this is fresh field where we're starting to cut into and we're going to have to figure out how to forge the path. Um, certainly there's all the people out there who just love, you know, Uh, mushrooms and kind of that culture and everything else. But, but again, like, okay, if we're trying to get Utah to do this, we've got to present this in a certain way. We've got to highlight the most receptive arguments with the most receptive people. And it may take us a while, but we're at least getting started and I'm excited by it because I know people whose lives have been uh, as with cannabis, you know, for me, it's about the patients and the story, their stories and learning from these people who have just had overwhelming trauma and and you know ex- crippling anxiety or treatment resistant depression where like no drugs were working for them and then unlike with cannabis where it's like every day or whatever you're using it they'll they'll use mushrooms once and then they're good for
0: like six yeah, months one
1: time and uh, it's, one time it's just amazing so I'm excited by it
0: it is I interviewed Steve Urquhart with the Divine Assembly Church here in Utah that's protected. And you even see psilocybin as a protected religious activity where cannabis, you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever think about protecting cannabis use as a religious uh, activity like a peyote or a psilocybin. So there's differences in the, the way we view psychedelics, for sure.
1: Maybe, maybe. What, what I'll say to that, and I've, I've said it to others, is I'm less convinced that there are strong religious freedom protections around this stuff. I just think it hasn't really been tested. Like if you tell a cop on the side of the road who sees your bag of mushrooms that, hey, this is my religious sacrament, I'm sorry, you're probably getting it confiscated and you're getting charged. And so if you want to fight that, you're gonna go to the court and you can try your religious freedom arguments. But while that case for my past reading of it, I have to go back and refresh. I think it was just peyote centric, right? I I don't know that a judge is gonna say, you know, oh yeah, sure, go ahead, you know, we'll let you off the hook. So I, I just, I don't want to let lead people to think that these are like strong, tested, validated protections where you are going to be spared any altercations with the cops or disruptions with your job or anything like that. I just don't think that's the case. Uh, it sounds nice in theory. I don't know that we're there in practice. So I would still urge significant caution because. Um, I I just don't know that those protections are as robust as some might claim they are.
0: It's a good perspective. What else is uh, Connor Boyack working on? What's got you up at night researching and and working on projects?
1: Um, I mean, we're still trying to repeal the death penalty in Utah. It's a big one for us that we're working on. We're working on a lot of local government stuff right now especially in this economy with housing prices and affordable housing and stuff, trying to figure out things like ADUs and short-term rentals and reforming zoning. So you know you can't have uh, people so restricted in building more high density and things like this. It's That's a big uh, problem right now. We're doing a lot of tech and innovation stuff. So we got Utah to pass this thing called a regulatory sandbox, where innovative businesses can basically have certain laws suspended uh, that conflict with their new approach to doing things while they go out and demonstrate how, uh, you know, they can do so safely and and effectively. And so that's a brand new thing that we're working with a lot of other states to, uh, to pass right now. Uh, we're doing a lot with what's often called school choice, making sure that families have options beyond just their local government school, um, and make sure that parents are empowered to figure out what's right for their kids rather than just, you know, what are the options at the school down the road? And so we work a lot in education as well um and then a whole bunch of other i mean criminal justice stuff tons of stuff we're working on there it uh it's we're actually doing some strategic planning right now and kind of figuring out the next big battles i think psilocybin and psychedelics are are a really big one that's going to have a lot of our focus moving forward uh, as this task force gets set up uh just to make sure this gets guided in the right way and and we're saying the right things to the right people and so that one i think is the bigger one for me right now just because it's It's got that personal impact so deeply. Like these are people who are suffering right now. So um, that's the one that I'm thinking the most about right now.
0: Do you feel like this is a, I look at politics and I look at like uh, lobbying and things like this is, maybe it's a unique way. Maybe it's not. I feel like things like cannabis and, and psychedelics and psilocybin and, you know, we'll, we'll move towards as the population ages and people die off and the young people Uh, get a little older and start taking more control in the government offices, cannabis will become more ubiquitous. It will become more accepted regardless essentially of what we do. It will just happen. Psilocybin or psychedelics may have that same uh, trajectory. But do you feel like your work at Libertas and your work personally is trying to condense that timeline so you can get change to move just a little bit faster?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think some of these things are, in, in some respects, uh, not inevitable, but probable, based on changing demographics and perspectives. I think that's a fair way to put it. Uh, I would just <laughs> describe it this way: I'm a very impatient person, <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to wait for the FDA to approve some whatever after a you know ten year protracted. Like, I got no time for that. People are struggling yeah. now there's something we can do now uh so let's just do it and uh you know i think my impatience gets me in trouble sometimes cuz i am very like problem solution oriented so it's like that's not working right okay let's go do that let's get it done let's jump on it and uh and so that's that's i think what drives a lot of this i i do feel like that's where things are headed quote unquote um but uh but no i do think it's an accelerant uh i also think that some of the people who can be positive, positively benefited right now might not be around in 10 years when we finally get around to it. Yeah, it's true. Tim, right. Tim, let me, let me, let, very, very sorry. Let me, let me interject a quick story before it escapes out of my head because that's, yeah. that's what my head uh, does. I lose things quickly. Just to illustrate this exact point my mom is an estate planning attorney, which means she does trusts and wills and things like this. And, uh, and she had this elderly couple that she had done their, Uh, wills recently for and in part because the wife was very sick she had stage four cancer can't remember which uh, kind might have been pancreatic but very aggressive cancer and so my mom does their paperwork and off they go she gets a call from the husband about i don't know four six months later and he's in tears talking to my mom and he says i want you to send a message to your son he, my mom had shared my role in all this. He said, I want you to send a message to your son. I want him to know that in the final days of my wife's life, when the doctors and others wanted to put her on opioids and she was going to be all fuzzy and you know out of it and whatever, while pain-free, we got a medical cannabis card instead. And my wife was lucid. She was at peace. She could create happy memories and f- have final conversations with her family member and that was everything to us to have her present up to her final moments and so he's just like with as you can imagine very strong emotion trying mm-hmm. to convey this to my mom and my mom's all <laughs> you know like yeah she, oh, and yes. and, uh, and i was too i I've, I've shared this story enough times where i'm not you know crying as much as i share it but but you know it's like had we waited a yeah. decade right that little bit of suffering for that one person uh would not have been able to be uh, alleviated so yeah no i'm very impatient there are people who want change now i'm a person in our organization can do something about it and on some of these issues and so i feel personally called to you know to to use a mormon term in our culture put my shoulder to the wheel to uh to try and you know push some of these problems away and uh try and make a difference because sure some of this might be inevitable but at some point it's going to be someone getting involved and saying the right things to the right people at the right times in the right way. Like, why can't that be us now? That's how I look at it.
0: Push it over the finish line. Yeah. Do you think we've missed anything Connor that, uh, that you wanted to talk about or that you want people to know?
1: I mean, I'll, I'll say this prop two is a struggle for a lot of people. It's also a struggle for me where, you know, my motives were being questioned by a lot of people and, you know, again, they didn't have a lot of information and they were claiming things. That's fine. Like, I I, I understand it. I'm past it. Um, I think we all want what's best for those we care about. And, uh, you know, other people may disagree with the decisions we made in the past. They may feel that the legislature overturned the will of the people. They may be upset that the LDS church, you know, got involved and had some feelings about this. Like, I get it. But for me, I, I talk to my kids about this a lot. I, I, I tell them, you know, um, I feel like emotional pain comes when we're unwilling to accept the reality of our situation. When when we pine for what could have been, or when we're frustrated over what was, or when we're stressed that we can't have what we want, when, when you open this gap between what is and what you think ought to be, that's where I think, you know, emotional pain and stress and anger and all these things come. And so for me, I guess if I were to just crudely simplify how I think, it's, it's like, what is the reality of our situation? I wish the church had not gotten involved. I wish the governor's office wasn't fighting this behind the scenes. I wish Walter Plum would have stayed out of it with all his stupid antics. I like, I, I wish that, you know, we wouldn't have had some of the fallout that we did with some of the activists who disagreed with, with our decisions. But, It is what it is, and we made the decisions that at the time we thought were the best for the patients that we were doing this for from day one in 2013. And and I don't want to. I I want to focus on what is the reality of our situation. It's a weird reality in Utah. We've got socio-cultural things that no one else has to do it. I was just in California last week meeting with CEOs of think tanks from around the country. And a lot of them were asking me this dynamic to have like this powerful church in my state that at any time can put its thumb on something. And it was like, well, let me tell you a story, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I had yeah. stories to share. But, uh, but we've got different sociocultural stuff here. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the reality of our situation. I want to accept it and then figure out how I can influence it. And, and for me, I feel like a lot of people looking back in reflection are just angry about wishing that things would have been different or things shouldn't have been done and and i understand it i know where it comes from but uh you know i hope moving forward that we can just recognize where we're at now be grateful uh, not to me but like to just to the process to to the outcome to yeah. the movement the to progress the you
0: have the program yeah
1: just to, to you know things are great let's recognize what we do have and then figure out ways that we can collaborate to to improve it
0: well connor boyak president of libertas institute i uh really appreciate you coming on. I it's been a long time. We've tried to get you uh get get the timing to work out and I like the stories. I like uh hearing from the people that were there and have a voice in this space. Uh you did I think you did good work and I agree with you. It's not perfect, but it is where we're at and it's helping a lot of people. So I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thanks for having me on. I'm glad we could finally connect. And, and I think these are important stories to share. I'm, I'm glad, as you told me before we recorded, that so many of the interviews you have on here are, are the patients themselves. Uh, yeah. I, I love that because I think it's easy, especially up at the Capitol or in the press, to kind of focus on the these little industry issues or the, the aggregate program, whatever. But like, it's it's that elderly guy who called my mom, right? It, it's that individual It's the Jennifer in 2013 whose son had, you know, has still Gervais syndrome Um, and and doing it for these people is is what it's really all about. So kudos to you for sharing those stories. And clearly uh, we all got more work to do. So let's get to it.
0: All right, everybody. Stay safe out there.